So I've learned a new definition of being weary. I don't know whether it was by hook or by crook, but I got pulled into doing the riverbank run, the 25K, this coming fall with my wife. I think she was worried about my heart health. And, um, and so I started doing that. It was, you know, you've had your struggles, but I will say this. I had a few runs uh, w- once I started building into the mileage a little bit that were really great, especially when we were up north. There were hills and stuff, and I thought, oh, it's going to ruin me. But it didn't. They were great runs, and I was like, wow. You know, I'm really excited about, you know, the progress and how it's going. And I felt great about it. And we came back to Zealand and, um, you know, you're running on the flat. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And I had a, a number of runs where I was just weary, like in my bones. It was one foot in front of the other, just a slog. And I was wondering, why am I doing this? Why would I do this? The cars driving by me were like, why would he do this to himself? He's clearly unhappy. And like, it was just a grind, right? It was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I was so weary, like deep in my body where I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could pick up the pace or even keep pace. It was really discouraging. Have you ever had moments like that in your own faith? where you're working through something and you have moments that are really good and you feel like you're growing in the Lord and you're growing in your relationship with Christ and scripture and it's going really well and then you get weary. You grow weary of investing in your faith and growing and the challenge seems too big and it's just kind of one foot in front of the other. It's not pretty, it doesn't feel glamorous, it's just the grind. It makes me kind of think back to what we're talking about in this series called Brave with the prophet Daniel. Daniel has been in Babylon for a lifetime now. When we pick up the story in Daniel chapter five, he has been in Babylon three times as long as he's ever been in Jerusalem. Think about that. His childhood home is a distant memory. He's an older, wiser man now. And the king Nebuchadnezzar has died. And there's a new king ruling his son, ruling in his place. And we find the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter five in a slog, in a day in, day out grind. Because Daniel had been in Babylon for a long time. And he had been in Babylon, but not of it. So when we look at that and understand he is swimming, not only against the current of Babylon, but all the other fish are swimming against him too. It feels like he's the only one going upstream. We know he had friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it would have been a lonely grind for him. And here's the the interesting thing that happens that really in this season of Daniel's life pulls him back to the forefront. The king has a dinner party. Now the king is Belshazzar, okay, that's his name. There is um, Daniel's name in the Babylonian tongue was Belteshazzar. So there's a little T in there, so Belteshazzar, and then Belshazzar, the king, has a party. Now these parties um, by the, the kind of the Persian Babylonian empire are lavish, they are notorious, and Um, they are debauched and extravagant. You know, I would say that the parties are like really big. So they're notorious B-I-G. Oh, that happened. Um, There are these horrible parties where things go on that we probably can't fully imagine in our context, but they are lots of drinking, lots of party, tons of immorality. And they are just extravagant to the nth degree. 
They are extravagant, and they go about um, indulging every desire and, and want they have. At some point in the party, King Belshazzar thinks to himself, you know what? I enjoy drinking wine out of these gold and silver goblets and stuff, but um, you know what's fun to do when you're the conqueror of all worlds is uh, to drink your beverage out of the cups of the vanquished. So they go to the treasury and they pull out of the treasury the articles that were sacred from the temple in Jerusalem and they begin drinking their wine and their beverages out of the articles, the bowls and the goblets designated for service in the temple of God that had come back to Babylon when Jerusalem fell. It's at that point that a disembodied hand appears in thin air and writes on the wall. I mean, hello, bad dream. Meanie, meanie, tickle, you farson. We pick up the scripture, Daniel chapter five. We're gonna show this painting and hear this scripture. Pay close attention to all that goes on during this story. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, 
The Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you, your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel Parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. We find Daniel in Babylon, but still not of Babylon. Remember back to the first week of this series when we're looking at uh, Daniel's early young years in Babylon being trained in the court, and he didn't participate in the things that would have broken God's heart or broken relationship with God and Daniel. He wouldn't participate in those things. And... um, what happens to Daniel is he finds himself not in the in crowd anymore. King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and um, obviously Daniel's, Daniel's situation has receded a bit, and Daniel finds himself not in the in crowd because he didn't participate in things that break the heart of God. But when the time comes, when things get scary or things are difficult, people look for those who have character. They look for men and women of character, and that's what happens in Daniel's life, and that's what will happen in our life. If we live a life devoted to being in the world but not of the world, when things get, uh, when the writing on the wall gets clear, People start looking for people of character and devoted lives walking with God. Clearly, we know this. Daniel wasn't a guest at this party. Daniel was not a guest because when the hand writes on the wall, all the magicians and astrologers and all that are there and people are freaking out. They're like, what just happened? I mean, just imagine, it'd be so weird. And people are losing their minds. They're like, what's going on? And and the queen goes to the king and says, you know, your dad, King Nebuchadnezzar, knew a young man, Daniel, who was wise, could interpret visions and dreams, and you ought to go find him. She remembered the one man who was different than all the others. 
She remembered Daniel by his character, by his reputation, and the life he had served in Babylon, but not of Babylon. Daniel had spent those years in Babylon, but he had always remained faithful to his God. And here's what we can kind of celebrate and understand is that Daniel was brave. He was brave enough to be there but not be so soaked in the culture that he lost his identity with God. He was brave enough to always speak the truth. He would always speak the truth even when it was unpopular. And I love that about Daniel and it shows a great deal of character in him because Daniel's training in Babylon when he was young actually helped him out to become the man he needed to be in this moment. His training, his discipline of those early stories we read where he spoke truth in the situations, even when it was unpopular, even when it was, un, when, when it was sad to tell when he said to King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this interpretation was for your enemies and your adversaries, not you, O king. We see that Daniel was in it but not of it, but he would speak the truth no matter what. And it helped him build the protection. I would say it was like armor, but rather than being this hard thing, Daniel didn't become hardened. He became resilient. He knew who was to be feared. And we go back to this a lot. And I think it matters in this series. We don't always know who to fear anymore. We don't know who's telling the truth and who's spinning tales in our current modern culture. And we're like, what should I be afraid of? I will tell you this. This series has taught us one thing. Fear the right thing. Fear God alone because Daniel's life feared God alone. So when the king calls for him, he's, the king is no different to Daniel than any man on the street because Daniel's fear is set aside once again for God alone. He would answer in truth even though his answer would kill the mood. When Daniel says, keep your gifts to the king, we should understand what the king was offering to the person who could interpret what the hand had written. And the gifts were this, a gold chain, what up gold rope, um, a purple robe, right, so a very expensive garment, and the third highest place in the kingdom and the empire of Babylon. And what does Daniel say to him? His exact words out of verse 17, you may keep your gifts for yourself and your rewards, give them to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Like Daniel wasn't there for all the extras. Daniel was there to try to restore the king gently. He wasn't there for the benefits. He was there to be faithful. He spoke the truth, and then he would explain it. So this hand has appeared and written on the wall. The magicians and astrologers can't figure it out. The queen speaks of Daniel and they go get him. And I guarantee you this, all the partiers at Belshazzar's feast were hoping this wise man would give a faithful, or um, uh, not faithful, a happy interpretation, an interpretation of what's written on the wall that would revive the party, right? It would get the party going again. And Daniel is about to kill the mood. Daniel is the, per- like, When you think of the mood being killed, I can't imagine a more mood-killing moment than to um, be at like your wedding and like your ex-girlfriend that you dated for a while to show up, you know, and just glare 
at the new bride. Or your ex-fiance walk in, you know, to the reception. What's she doing here? I don't know. Mood killer, right? That's what we're talking about in this. But when you don't fear men and man and culture, you become very useful in the kingdom of God. You should love people. We should always love people, but we should not fear them. We should not fear them. We should fear God alone. Because here's the reality, church. If you are soaked in the word of God and you are faithful in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be the only person in the room you're in who knows the truth, which means you have to speak it. You have to speak the truth. You have to lift your voice. But it begs a question. What can we learn from Daniel chapter 5? Because most likely, nobody, none of us are going to be at a party where a hand writes on the wall. So what can we learn? And I love how Scripture interprets Scripture. And quite often in the Old Testament, we will see something happen, and then in the New Testament, it's made, we can put a lens on it that makes it very clear and very easily understood. There are physical, practical experiences in the Old Testament that actually are translated and lived out in truth in the New Testament under the covenant of Christ, and we can see that. So we're going to apply Daniel chapter 5 into our lives today using the book written to the church in Galatia by the Apostle Paul. We're going to use the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5 through Galatians and see what is being said, because using these passages in Galatians will make clear some of our actual applications of the story of Daniel chapter 5. We want to apply this to our life. So, what can we learn from Daniel chapter 5? The first thing we can learn is to restore one another gently. When relationship is broken, when things go on that cause division and heartache, we need to understand the value and the opportunity of, well, restoring one another gently. Think of what Daniel did. Daniel is called out of his home to the king's palace. I would guess it has been a while since he's been there. He's called to the king's palace, and he didn't come in panicking. He didn't come in looking for the spotlight. The prophet Daniel came in not looking for another moment to look important, irreplaceable, or, um, or even to elevate his role within the kingdom. And we know this because King Belshazzar said, whoever interprets what this hand means, I will give them a gold chain, gold rope, and a purple robe, right? And I will make them number three in the kingdom. So for us in an American system, the Speaker of the House. I will do that. I will make them number three in the kingdom. Daniel didn't come in panicking. He walked in nice and level. He spoke the truth and he explained it. And he explained to the king that God had indeed given him a warning. God had warned the king about this kind of pride and irreverence and he had warned him in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had had this moment where he elevated himself. We talked about it just the other week. He elevated himself. His pride became such that he actually was lowered down to the place of an ox or a donkey grazing in the courtyards of his own palace. 
We talked about this last week. Remember, God wouldn't stand for the pride and arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel comes in and speaks to the king. You heard it in the scripture that he said, your father was humbled. Your father was taught about the majesty of the God, of God, the high God of heaven. And you have come in arrogantly, right? You didn't learn the lesson that was taught to your father. Daniel comes in and speaks a hard word to him. He explained why they were doing what they were doing was wrong. He explained to them the sacredness of those temple objects and the arrogance and pride of Belshazzar and the way they were treating them. And then he took the message on the wall, meeny, meeny, tickle you farson, and he interpreted interpreted the message for them. And it's a devastating interpretation. What we see in this is terrible, meaning God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to the end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales, on God's scales, and you have been found wanting. You farsen, your kingdom is divided, and the Medes and the Persians will come and rule. I mean, that is a big word. That is a big deal that was dropped on Belshazzar. And Daniel says it in humility and in truth. If we're ever in a situation, so if you and I ever find ourselves in a situation where we know the truth and we need to speak it to another person, we must remember to do it in three ways. We need to speak the truth clearly. Don't whitewash it because you're uncomfortable. Speak the truth clearly. We need to speak the truth honestly. We need to be honest in the way we speak it. Just be clear, but be very honest. Don't add or take away from it. And the third thing we need to do is we need to speak the word gently. We need to be gentle. They are already in enough pain. We don't need to add the shame of our personal disgust onto the situation. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 6 says it this way. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, which the king clearly was, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each should carry their own load. When I look at that, it makes me realize that when we have to say what can we apply in our life out of this story and out of this um, text, it's to restore one another gently. Even when we have the high ground on what we know and how much trouble, Daniel knew how much trouble Belshazzar was in, but he didn't gloat over it. He didn't throw it back in his face. What can we learn from Daniel chapter five? Restore one another gently. And watch yourselves, because God will not and cannot be mocked. That is an important reality. History, the history of Israel had taught Daniel not to mock God. In devotions this week, you read through the end of, I think, Kings and Chronicles was where we read. And um, 
It's just tragic. The way the kings set up um, idols and Asherah poles and they worshiped the Baals and Molech and the detestable gods of the Canaanites and they did more wicked than the, the kingdoms that were driven out before them and God would not be mocked and Daniel was living in exile. Jerusalem was a smoking ruin because God would not be mocked. You must watch yourself knowing that God cannot be mocked. History had taught Daniel not to worship idols. It was the reason they were in exile. And history had taught Belshazzar, the king, not to be arrogant because he could full well remember that his dad for seven times, however long of a period that was, his dad behaved like a donkey, an ox, eating grass, sleeping under the dew of heaven. He, he remembered this, and he remembered that his father came to himself and worshiped God. Belshazzar had a history that reminded him not to be arrogant. Only Daniel listened to the history that was given to him. Belshazzar thought himself above the law, and continued to defy God again and again. And I think we can say this party, this extravagant, notorious, over-large party was a big part of the pinnacle of Belshazzar's pride. It was a display of his majesty in his mind, and the revelry of it would go on for a long time. He took out the objects that his grandfather had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He took those objects out and he began drinking out of them and basically toasting his power, his majesty, and his greatness with the articles that were meant to serve and worship God. Belshazzar used things that were meant for the worship of God for his immoral purposes. So church, let's get real personal right now. Let's take a minute and look at this. Never take lightly this, the misuse of things that belong to God. Never take lightly the misuse of things that belong to God. And remember, people belong to God. They bear his image. So when you're abusive and manipulative and horrible to people, that is an abuse of the image of God. Never take lightly the misuse of what God intended for worship we see this, the articles of worship in the temple were misused for someone's pride and revelry and luxury. So you and I must take account. Have we misused people for our pride, for our own revelry, and for our own luxury? When I look at our world, and I see what's going on with sex trafficking and the whole situation in, in our world where things that are happening in this world and, and hurting people's lives and we think, oh, it's no big deal. God will be fine with it. It's just in secret. No, 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 it's not in secret, church. We need to understand what's going on presently must be dealt with. It must be dealt with in clarity and unapologetically. And then, in all this party that's going on in Daniel chapter five, it gets worse because what Belshazzar does is they take the objects dedicated to serving and worship of God, and they worship, it says in verse four, they worship objects of stone, of wood, of gold and silver, statues made by men. Sometimes when we are getting away with sin, we think that God doesn't know and God doesn't care. Be warned, because this is what it says in the book of Galatians, and let's look through this in this lens. Don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. 
A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, their bodily, their desires, out of the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap life. Let us not become weary in doing good for the poor, or for for at the proper time, um, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Let us not become weary in doing good. That's number three. That's the third way we can apply Daniel chapter five. Don't get weary in doing good. Being brave means doing good when no one else seems to care. Being brave means being willing to swim completely against the current, but not just the current. Everyone else in the culture coming at you saying, you're ignorant, you're stupid, you're, you're wrong. When people are being hard on you and you know you're obeying God, you've got to lean into it. Being brave means speaking the truth and guarding your life when it's not popular. I've said it to all my children, my sons, a number of times. I've said, guard your heart, guard your heart with what you see, guard your heart with what you let in. Right? Guard your heart. I want you to protect that. Why? Because we know and we understand that being brave means speaking the truth and guarding your life even when it's not popular. When the world's having a great time, you won't be at that party most likely. You won't be there. Being brave means being willing to not bow to the cultural noise and not giving up. There will be a harvest. God is bigger than Belshazzar's and their feasts, their parties, their likes, their followers, all these things. He's bigger than that. God needs people who will be brave. He's in control. He put you in your place in life for a reason, and that reason is bigger than you. It goes on into eternity. It's bigger than you or anything you could ever understand. God intends you to link your life to the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, and that will echo forward into all eternity. My question for us, church, is this. Will we serve those who need Jesus, the family of believers? I know this. there's a lot of fear right now, but here's the thing. We are eventually gonna be reopening this church. And when we do, we need volunteers. We need people to teach the kids, to take care of us and provide the foundry family kind of um, opportunities and experience for the unchurched, for the de-church, and to bless and grow the church. And we need you to be brave and serve, as Paul said, those who belong to the family of God. That is a high call of yours, to be bigger than your weary fears. Have you grown weary in this season? Do you feel like me on those long slogging runs where you're like, oh, do you feel like Daniel in the quiet days of his later years in the kingdom of Babylon going, why can't I just go home? Why can't I just go home? I'm tired. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of having to fight for everything. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way? Because if you do, praise God, you're in the company of the greats. You're in the company of the pillars of the Old Testament. I'll tell you this, church, and it sounds funny, but um, the night before every one of my larger runs, so every time I'm hitting a distance I haven't gone yet, I'll say to Erica, oh, I feel afraid for tomorrow morning. I have bad dreams. It's hard for me to, like I wake up, I'm like, it's about to happen. I just, I feel nervous. 
I feel afraid because I know there's a weariness out there that's gonna wanna grip onto me and I know I'm gonna have to dig deep and push. Church, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say live your best life now. He said live the only life now. Live in me. Take up your cross, die to yourself and follow me. That is a call to bravery. That is not a call to lukewarm Christian faith. Get in your devotions, not because you have to, but because it's the very word of God meant to nourish your spirit and your soul for the days when you're weary. Church, church, we are called to be brave. It takes bravery to start. It takes bravery to endure. And it takes bravery to get to that finish line knowing that apart from Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, and his word working through us, we would have never made it. But church, there is a promised reward for those of us who bravely pursue the calling in obedience to the Spirit of God. I invite you, be brave. Be braver than you are weary. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the ways you work in us and through us for the glory of your Son. Come, Lord Jesus. We, your church, need to be brave. We need to own this in a new way. We need to feel the weight of our calling and quit listening to the volume of this world because this world's volume is just all a passing breeze, but the weight of glory is eternal. The the weight of what you've called us into to share as sons and daughters of your kingdom as heirs to the promise of the glory of heaven. May we feel that weight and live in it, the opportunity to live lives of significance, not for our glory, but only for yours. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We need to be careful that we remember that our lives are called to brave obedience, courageous obedience. We're called to be brave and remember that the misuse of the things that are intended to worship and glorify God is something God won't tolerate. And our lives, you are created in the image of God. You were created for relationship with God and for the purpose of advancing the gospel. So you're gonna have to do the accounting in your life with me. Is there any way in which you're misusing the temple of the Holy Spirit for your pleasure, your gain, and your purposes that God doesn't condone? It will take bravery to live differently in this world. But Jesus called us to a life like that. He called us to a life that was countercultural. And so I invite you today, my friends, be brave in taking a look at what goes on in your own life and how God may need to call things out and make changes. Be brave to obey him. And be brave to ensure that this life that you live, this body you inhabit, which is created, you are created in the image of God, that it is used for the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. And as you go about that, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, can't wait till I get to see your faces again, but until that time, grace and peace, and go living lives of brave, faithful obedience.